You're listening to Hey Doc, the show for and by people passionate about healthy living. Hosted by Dr. Bridger Cutler and Dr. Caleb Valdez, two chiropractors seeking to make the world a healthier place. Hey, welcome back to Hey Doc Health Topics. I'm Dr. Cutler and I got my co-host with me, Dr. Valdez. Uh, today's episode is part of our series on birth, pregnancy, um, and the different kind of aspects of that we want to go into. Um, very much his specialty. He's he's very much a an authority figure in this in this field and a lot of the topics we're going to be talking on. So I will be hosting, asking him a lot of questions and kind of throwing in some some things and some thoughts that I have along the way. Um, today we really want to focus on birth. And uh, that's right. I mean, we talked about how you got into like your your love of that, those different things and pediatric care specifically with, with PWS and all those different things and, and your niece. Um, but the birthing process, I mean, typically when people think of a chiropractor, they think, oh, a chiropractor would have nothing to do with the birthing process. Why, why would they be interested in what you have to say about this? Right. I, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, especially after a couple episodes ago, you brought up the point that medical doctors study everything that goes wrong that makes us sick and what can go wrong with the body. We as chiropractors, we're training what can go right. Which is what we, we do need that. Just just so absolutely. we know, we absolutely need that because there are diseases that like, when, when you have a disease like that, absolutely you want your, your immune system to be functioning the right way, but there is a need for emergency medicine for sure. Yeah. And birth is no exception. There's, yes. there's definitely emergency situations that come up in birth. And I'm so grateful that we have a lot of those uh, tools at our disposal, but Chiropractors study what goes right. And so for low-risk pregnancies, for healthy births, we should be some of the biggest champions for letting the body do what it naturally does. Midwives are, uh, you know, a great resource because they see normal birth processes. They, I, I wish more OBs would attend natural births just to see how that process works when things aren't going wrong because they, in their training and in their practice, they they only see the bad stuff that happens, and so they're wired to always be checking for the bad stuff to happen. Yeah, I mean, so. I think it, it kind of comes down to like if you're starting a project and you start the project out with the thought of this is going to be an emergency. Yeah. Then how are you going to react to it? How are you going to react to any of the things that happen? That could be a totally natural, normal thing. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to immediately look at everything as a little emergency, and I think that's what happens so often with with people as we get into this birthing process and any little thing that might be out of the ordinary for them, where they think is out of the ordinary, they're like, oh my gosh, we have to get to the hospital right now. Something could be going wrong, but you know what? Like your body's just, you're growing a human. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at the process. You, this is not an emergency process. Birth is not an emergency. It's not an abnormal thing for your body to do. Pregnancy shouldn't be a medical diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. We talked about that in the last episode. And, yeah. and the birth, the, the process of birth also, that's not an emergency either. Yeah. Like we're so worried about like, yeah, you absolutely want to be set for it, but it's not like, I feel like people just way overestimate how, I don't want to say dangerous because it can definitely be dangerous, but just. I think they underestimate what they're capable of, what mom is. That's it. That's a good way. Yeah. And, and, and there, there are those, those things out there, but I think before we get into this particular topic, we're talking to an audience of obviously women who have a lot more experience giving oh, birth sure. than we do. But um, we we need to address kind of the elephant in the room, kind of establish a foundation, I think, of just saying that we're inviting you to participate in this conversation with us. We, we want to hear your thoughts and your questions and your concerns and things because our whole intention in this discussion is to empower and encourage moms to return to the role as the center figure of this birth process. 
And, and there are a lot of triggers and traumas and things, depending on your experiences, your, your family history, maybe for you personally, or, or someone that you know and, and care about. Um, the sad fact, the reality is that there's a lot of stories that we tell ourselves to normalize what is happening right now in our culture. And we convince ourselves that this is normal, this is okay. And it takes a little bit of, of vulnerability to step in and say, wow, my birth was not what I intended, was not what I I'd hoped for. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, unfortunately, you know, anything that happens to your body during that process without your express consent and your informed consent, somebody explains to you why they're doing something, what the risks are, what the alternatives are, and then asks you if it's okay if they do that. Those happen all the time, just in the heat of the moment. And, and there's a lot of times where moms are taken advantage of in a very vulnerable state. That, that incidence, thankfully, is going down. We have a lot of great practitioners um, in the birth area. And when dad is involved in that and, and he's kind of running, you know, quarterbacking a lot of uh, the stuff that he can, those are a lot less frequent. But let's be okay with just acknowledging where, wherever you are in your approach to birth right now, whatever's happened to you in the past, you did the best you could with what you knew then. And so if, if we're sharing something that kind of changes how you view what has happened before, it's only with the hope that it makes things better for your next generation or your next pregnancy or whatever the next opportunity is to make an outcome that's different. Because like we've talked, we're not winning this war on, yeah, on pregnancy and childbirth. So not at all. And so, I mean, I think, I think coming from the, the state of like an expecting dad or something like that, or men, especially like it is super important. And this podcast is not just for moms. This podcast Absolutely. is like husbands and, and I mean, just guys who want to be dads. Like, yeah, guys strap in. We're going to, we're going like, to talk. This to is going to be for you too. You need to know this stuff just as much as your wife. And I think so often we get caught up with the men should not have a, an opinion on things that that they're not going through or however we want to put that. Yeah. You absolutely should. You should be informed. Understand that like your wife is going to be in charge in this situation, but you need to be the right hand. You need to be informed of all these different things so you can help her with these decisions instead of putting it all on her. Yeah. And I was talking to one of my friends the other day and we were talking about the birthing process. And it's just like so, so often, I mean, I think so many women don't want to have they don't want to get pregnant because they get a they feel like it's all on them. Mm -hmm. All of the decisions are theirs. All of the things like that. Guys, be there. Be present. There is nothing more attractive to a girl than a guy who cares about what they care about. Yeah. Like understand these intricacies and if she's worried about this like don't don't just say, "Well, you need to have kids because it's it's your duty" or something like that. Like that is the the quickest way to just <laughs> shut that down completely. Be educated. Be able to say, hey, I'm here to support you. Whatever I need to do, I will learn whatever I need to do. I'll be there for everything I can. And that's where this is going to be super important. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about medical autonomy. How important, it, or in your opinion, how important it is for, I mean, the mom to keep autonomy and to really be able to make those decisions and inform decisions, as well as like the medical autonomy for the baby. And, and this is something I'm hugely passionate about because in the last few years, we've done a pretty crummy job of protecting medical autonomy. And, and those people are losing rights they didn't even know that they had because they're not aware of the fact that you can say no to any intervention or any medical person. Um, we are so trained to just go along with the system at this point that it, you're well within your rights to ask to see another provider or another, um, you know, another route or and and it, it's very evident in moms who are talking to me about their previous birth experiences or their current one, where they'll use language like, "Oh, they're going to let me go to 39 weeks. They're going to they'll they'll allow me to labor for this long before they do this." 
no, like nobody's allowing you, giving you permission or anything. Like you, you are the boss here. So you tell them what they're going to let you do and what they won't let you do. Their job is to inform you of what the risks and the side effects and the benefits and, and all of that are. But if they can't do that, they they definitely don't deserve to be actually doing these things if they can't if they can't educate them you on them. So don't be afraid to say no, to ask for a different practitioner to change, you know, I, I've heard of moms changing their OB right up into the moment of delivery. And it's stressful and it sucks. But hopefully you can have those conversations ahead of time so that that isn't a, a reality you're faced with. Well, so, I mean, I, I kind of want to bring up a, a thing because I feel like so many people are afraid to ask doctors, like, why? We're yeah. so afraid to ask why. <clears throat> and I have heard this several times talking to people is, well, you didn't go to four years of school, of, of medical school, did you? So just trust me when I when I say I know what I'm talking about. I mean, what do we say to people like that? Like they have this doctors and yeah, they went to four years of medical school. They have more of this, this knowledge that they should, they should be the, the authority on these different things. Why should we question them? Yeah. What, what's your opinion on that? Um, degrees are great, but nobody has more experience being a pregnant mother than the pregnant mother. So, so she can, she can tell them to, to take a leap because she knows her body and, and we can't discount just basic human logic on a lot of these things in favor of a of degree. Great, you have a degree. That means you've studied a you know a lot of different things that can go wrong. But I I'm the boss here of this birth, and I have these expectations of what's going to go right. And a lot of times when when doctors tell you we can't do X Y Z or we won't do this or that, it's a hospital administrator, it's an insurance company that's telling them what they will or won't do. Yeah. Or it's the AMA that has their leash so tight that they aren't allowed to do something out of, you know, out of off, off their, you know, their regular programming, so I guess. It might make the, the practitioner yeah. afraid to step outside right. of that and, and to do something. that. The... But really common, what it means is I don't have the training for that. I've never learned how to do a breech vaginal delivery, you know, and so I don't know how to fix that. So I'm telling you, I, we can't do that because X, Y, Z, and I'll make up reasons to tell you why your body won't, because the alternative is to tell you that I just don't know how, yeah. and that's a little bit more vulnerable. And that kind of hurts that doctor's ego and their credibility in your mind. And so they think they're doing you the, the better of, of both worlds by saying, Oh, physically your baby's too big. We have to do a C-section or, or he's breached. We have to, or his, his cords wrapped around his neck. We have to do X, Y, Z. And so I learned like, about the, the whole quarter, quarter around we, the neck thing the other day from, we from went, about, <laughs> we we'll, we'll that about, about that. Yeah. But yeah, those those are the, kind of the the reality of those conversations that never materialize in the office is I don't know how to help you. And so I'm going to tell you that you can't do X, Y, Z. And the patient walks away trusting those four years of medical school saying my body is inadequate. My birth is not ideal. So maybe it's more important for for practitioners, I mean, no matter what, to, to recognize and say, hey, I, I personally don't. I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah. Let me get the training or let me ask someone, let, let me refer you to someone who can help with that. Yeah. Um, I know with chiropractic, it happens all the time. Like yeah. someone comes in, they have a complaint and you're just like, Oh, well, I'll figure it out. Um, oh. Just, just come in next time. And we'll, we'll you have arthritis. Out. It's, uh, it's yeah, just how it's, it's going to be. How it's going to be. Yeah. Instead of saying, Hey, I really don't know. Like I've treated you three times. There hasn't been like, I've treated you for several weeks. There hasn't been any improvement. Um, let's, let's try and look at other avenues. Let's try and maybe get you someone else who might be adjusting yeah. a little bit different. That will be yeah. good for the specificity. And I think medical autonomy is not just about making your own decisions. I think it's about understanding that your body's going to be different, that your birthing process is going to be different as well. Yeah. That your body is not the exact same as every woman that comes in there. So your birthing process shouldn't be the exact same. Yeah. 
and we've standardized so much. And at a time when when individuals are more diverse, given their medical records and their you know other factors that affect the birth outcome, we should be we should be catering more to diversity and accepting of other birth wishes and, and desires. I mean, you think about like I remember one of the most uncomfortable conversations of my childhood. Um, <laughs> Me and my on the couch. Yes, yes. I'm gonna well, clipboard and ask you about therapy right here. Um, <laughs> I was in Idaho with my my mom and a bunch of my aunts were in the car, and they are Captive talking. Audience. Yes, and so it's just me and my older <clears throat> brother, and we're sitting in the car. Only guys in the car, and then it's like seven ladies, all having multiple children, many births, and they start getting on the topic of birth and pregnancy and all these different things, and they're talking about how many hours, how many hours they were on pit, all these different things, and I'm just like. Oh, oh no, oh no! And and then my mom's like, oh, by the time I had my last kid, like all these different things, and and you you're, you're thinking about, okay, why is it that in some of these situations we're trying to standardize everything so that it's one streamlined process, but yet even with these standard these standardization um, processes that we put in place, they're so different. Every pregnancy is so different. I mean, you could have one preg- your first pregnancy could be amazing, and then the next pregnancy will will be terrible. I mean, there's so many factors that are going to play into that individually. Yeah. And I think understanding that and setting yourself up for success and looking at it as, I mean, you're in control of this. Yeah. And let me just say there there, there are doctors out there of every discipline that are just genuinely great human beings that are okay being vulnerable and being human and being, you know, they're confident enough in their skills that they don't have to fall back on their degree or hide behind hospital policy in order to defend their position. And those are the people that you want on your side. And and I work with them every day. I promise they're out there. If you're not currently in an office that gives you that vibe, just make a change. But but there are great people out there. Recognize that at the end of the day, though, the hospital administrators, what they're selling is the perception of safety and control and standardization through this process. That's their marketing. That's what they have to market is, oh, we've got all this fancy equipment. We have 90 million different monitors that you're hooked up to. So we'll know as soon as everything goes wrong, we can do something about it. Well, if that were the case, why are we losing 40% more moms through the birth process right now than we have before? Like, why are we going back the other way? And are one of the only countries, if not the only country to be doing that this year, that we're losing ground on maternal outcomes. And and if that if that safety were really there, why is that the case? And how do these other countries do it? You know, these moms in the African bush are having so many babies just yeah. fine. And and that just that's a testament to me of of how innately well designed this whole system is when it's allowed to run its course. And, and it comes down to the, the whole fragility of the human being. Yeah, like we are not fragile. Yeah. We are very robust in our ability to come back, to bounce back from things, yeah. to overcome all of these challenges that are put in front of us. I mean, adaptability is, that's how we got to how we are. Yeah. I mean, humans, the humans are, the reason why humans are top of the food chain yeah. in a lot of, a lot of ways is because of how adaptable we are, because of how efficiently we adapt to different situations and the stress is put on us. It's too cold. We create clothes, we create heaters, we create places to live. I mean, yeah. what other animal species does that? Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny looking through like your Instagram feed and things like that. And you see all these power lifters and these mega athletes that are just doing incredible things with their body. If you scroll through the, the starving babies feed, it's all these moms that are just, I mean, they're, they're, they're exhausted. They're, it looks like they just ran a marathon or yeah. participated it's in powerlifting. Yeah. And they've got this baby there that that's like, 
you're as much of a goddess there as any of these Olympic level athletes. Oh yeah, for sure. And and that's that's by design. That's how nature intended it. So Very I love cool. that. Well, I have a bunch of list of different things we're going to hit today. Okay. So I'm going to kind of talk about those. So we want to talk about um, like different paradigms in the in the birthing world. So number gotcha. one, we need to flip the baby. Okay. Yeah. So this is this is one I hear a lot. Moms, especially probably past 36, 37 weeks, they're very concerned with with baby's position in utero. And they're always asking me, okay, is, is you know, is my fundus, is it too low? Am I am I like, is, is he descending yet? Is he, you know, sunny side up? Like what's going on? We're going to go get another anatomy scan. Just make sure that he's turned. Babies right up into the moment they engage in that birth canal, they're going to do somersaults all over. I mean, they have been for the last nine months. And they're so- stuck in a position. Like right, that. right. And when it they are engaged wrong or you know, wrong. I use that term relative to the paradigm. You have external cephalic version where you can actually, you know, turn babies in utero to kind of help get things lined up and engaged. That's outside the chiropractic scope in every state. That's considered an, an OB procedure that should be happening. But as a chiropractor, what I can do is I can work on round ligament tension. I can do a lot of things with the low back and pelvis and, and those SI joint movements and things. Get mom in the optimal position so she can move and labor as she needs to. And then that baby is going to present in the best way for that case. And a lot of times we'll find out later, you know, if you really look at this, oh, we had, you know, this placental condition that was going on that was affecting, yeah, if the baby had labored this way, that would have been a problem, you know? So the body innately will present as it needs to for that. So I say all that to say, don't be overly concerned with how baby is positioned with, um, we're obsessed over heart rate. And I think we'll get to that here in a minute, but, but fetal heart rate monitors, they tell us so much information that they tell us nothing at all. You know, uh, ever since we deployed that in the seventies, we really haven't seen the outcome improve because we know exactly what baby's heart rate is doing at any given moment. So, so be careful of those things that you're not fixating on the wrong thing. I heard a story one time of a plane that crashed because an indicator light was out and the pilots were so fixated on that, they forgot to check their altitude and they hit the side of a mountain, you know? Yeah. So don't get so fixated on one little bulb that may or may not be working the way it's supposed to yeah. that you lose control it of the plane. Really, I mean, probably won't have that big of an impact on yeah. the overall thing. Yeah. Okay. Number two, the next thing, I mean, after 40 weeks, baby, baby becomes a threat to mom. I've heard this that like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm like so over my due date and mm -hmm. talking about due dates, period. I mean, what, it, what's, what's your explanation? Yeah. So ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists, they define post-term as anything past 42 weeks. So your gestation could be 42 weeks and still be perfectly normal. Um, babies' lungs are developing these surfactants, these um, you know proteins that allow them to breathe and keep those lungs open and not sticking to each other. You know, once they're breathing oxygen, and once that happens and that process is complete, then labor usually initiates very naturally on its own. And and first of all, just understanding that your your labor or your your gestation period, your due date, is really should be a due month. You know, because it could happen anytime in that month, and we're not as accurate in setting those dates as we think we are. And so moms will tell me down to the date, you know, oh, I should be going into labor, you know, this, this date in the evening. And I'm like, well, if that doesn't happen, don't, don't freak out. Like you're not late. Baby's not, you know, yeah. stuck. And like how terrible we are at telling the weather. Yeah. <laughs> it's even more so with something this complicated with hormones we don't even understand. And is it's yeah. a weather system there. I mean, every baby's going to be so different. Every mom's going to be so different. Yeah. How we, how can we expect to be like down to the day? Yeah. How often can we actually, I mean, 
say this is how accurate it's and that's why moms say well my last two babies were earlier this one was late and i usually have this or that and it's like no each baby is different and each mom is different every pregnancy is a fresh you know situation and and we try to look for trends because that gives us a feeling more of control we try to look for dates or indicators or you know fetal heart rate that we can like hang our hat on and say oh this is telling me that this is going well well step away from that and and be okay realizing that birth is an out of control out of body experience and it is that way on purpose um and and we have to be okay with that that's that's scary especially in a world today where we think we control everything from you know schedules weather like you you name it like we we really we're, we're control freaks as a civilization and this is one thing that we just you can't always control and be okay with that i think it's a very good point right there baby is too big to birth baby is too big to birth and I hear this all the time, you would be surprised. Mom's pelvis is going to open 30% wider when that baby engages. That relaxing hormone is designed to open and move those ligaments. They're, they're joints. And there's a reason that it's not just one solid bone in our pelvis. And that's to allow that stretch to happen and accommodate a large baby. Um, <clears throat> your, your body innately knows how much it has to push out. And so it's not going to grow that beyond that point. Yeah. We need to stop looking at baby as a threat to its environment. And accept that it it is perfectly natural in utero as it is out of utero. Like it's not gonna it's not gonna cause things that it, that mom's body can't control. Awesome. So very good point right there. Okay, mom needs to labor on her back. Yeah. Oh. What do you think about this? We've, we've talked about this a little bit. I mean, first of all, that is like one of the most unnatural positions. And, and I mean, I remember, I remember being in OBGYN class and like looking at some of the early practices that came to pregnancy and stuff like that, like yeah. the stirrups, that is not made for mom's comfort. Right. It's made for doctor's comfort. 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, guys, but docs, earn your pay. <laughs> like, Learn how to move. So you learn can how to move. <laughs> yeah. Like make it the most comfortable for the mom. What no other animal in the world lays on their back to have a baby. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like there's so many aspects of it that are just, that is not a natural position for the mom to be in Yeah, with her legs up in a stirrup where she has no control. There's no gravity assisting it. Nothing. Yeah. As a general rule of thumb, the same position that you make a baby in is a good position to have a baby in. And so think about that in the privacy of your own mind, but um, that is generally how we're designed to move and, and, and birth. And yeah, it's based on antiquated practices that were all doctor centric. Well, I mean, what if they make a baby, but they're on their back? Well, then maybe that works best for her. I, I, that's between you and your, your husband. So, okay. So I just, I'm, I'm very much a, I mean, physics wise, if we're going to go the science of it, I just feel like it's just a natural, more natural position. And that's why like, if we're talking about the natural birth and stuff like that, usually it's going to be squatting, something like that. She's mm -hmm. in a in a bathtub or something like that, doing a water birth and allowing that. I mean, find the, the position that's going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. I mean, just just try and try and find what that and maybe it's maybe it might be on your back. Yeah, it just depends on the person. Yeah, and and all fours or squatting or or standing, kind of walking, ambulating, and stuff like that. Depending on on that presentation and position and how the pelvis is moving, the the last thing we want to do is immobilize mom and and not give her the chance to move as she is is laboring. And a lot of that happens because the monitors that we hook up to her, we have an IV line in. She has a fetal heart rate monitor around her your belly. You know, there's all this wiring and cables going on. Excuse me. When did we start thinking that was that was normal to be, you know, yeah. basically and stirrups, you know, are just 
tying her up and, and keeping her from moving as, as her body innately knows it should. Yeah. And a lot of times they're coaching her on when to push and how hard mm -hmm. to push. And that is. Tell me about cervical dilation. I mean, so the more I'm learning about it, checking cervical dilation and yeah. okay, this is when you need to push. Yeah. And your body will have a baby when it feels most safe and protected. And so if somebody's always coming in to check cervical dilation and effacement, you know, uh, the more I learn about it and the more research and data that we get, that really the, there's not a lot of correlation between how dilated the cervix is, which is how open it is, or how effaced it is, how stretched forward and ready to to deliver that baby is, and how progressed that labor is. But it doesn't mean that you're, oh, you're at a station, you know, a, a two plus or whatever it is. Like we we need to speed this along. We need to slow it down. There's all this gas and brake going on. And the whole time somebody's in that area checking that cervix to see where it, it is adds more stress it on does it immediately puts her into that fight or flight response so her body's like hey something's something's going wrong yeah, why why is this back in here like what I'm, I'm constantly worried and i think that's what we get <clears throat> is when we have constant people so many different people that i mean they're wearing their masks and different things like this coming in and checking i feel like it's just adding more stress to a situation which right. the best outcome is probably i mean not saying from experience because i don't have experience here but the best problem i mean best outcome is going to it's going to be when you're in that parasympathetic state. Yes. Yeah. Quiet, subdued lighting, music, pictures of your kids or manifestations on the walls that you, you know, paradigms that you and your husband created together or, you know, just really connect there with the parasympathetic, with the rest, digest, safe area, you know, yeah. and then say, hey, my body will dilate and efface as it needs to to get this out. But it's not your job to keep checking that. My baby's heart rate is going to go up and down as it needs to. We don't have to know every time that it goes down because eventually those doctors are going to throw in a C-section call, you know, um, and, and sometimes, and that's very arbitrary. A lot of hospitals thought it would protect them from lawsuits, but in fact, the opposite is because now they can go back and look at when, oh, doc, you should have called this a C-section at this point and you didn't. Why, why did you not do that? And they're scared for their license. So they're calling it earlier and earlier on. And, and it just leads to this self-fulfilling prophecy of something's going wrong. Let's operate. You know? The moment that something's not normal for what they think it should be normal, it's they, they qualify as an emergency. And so yeah. now we're having all these emergency C-sections. And there's that moment where the doctor realizes, okay, it's not just about mom's safety and her wishes for this. It's now about my license and I will get in trouble if I don't intervene at this point. Yeah. And, and those powers that be on that are all hospital administrators and, and insurance programs. So Okay. Well, next next thing, let's talk about nuchal cords. So, okay. um, I mean, the cord being wrapped around the baby's neck. Yeah. He explained some very interesting <laughs> thoughts on this and opinions on this. Yeah. And this is, I mean, uh, kudos to a lot of the uh, accounts that I follow. I just want to put in physiologically. I want you to think about logically in here. Logically, physiologically, it's it makes sense that what he's about to explain. Yeah. And, and this is a very common thing that I hear when people are recounting a birth trauma or a reason that they got a C-section is, oh, we did an anatomy scan and, and the baby's cord was wrapped around their neck like 17 times. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad, you know, and it was, it was shaped like a hangman's noose and it was right around baby's neck. And if that had been born, that baby would have died. And I'm like, well, let's think about that for a second. Physiologically, that baby has been living in this placenta for nine months, it, surrounded by amniotic fluid. Its breathing is is just dependent on that cord. So mom oxygenates and that oxygen-rich blood comes down. And That's the important thing for people who don't understand that is that the baby doesn't breathe when it's in the womb. It, it gets its oxygen from the mom, from the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. So it, having that 
that umbilical cord wrapped around his neck means that's the thing that's giving it oxygen. Yeah. It doesn't need to breathe yet. It's not holding its breath for nine months. Yes. And as soon as it comes out, we have to like clear it out so it can breathe suddenly. It's used to getting all of its oxygenation through that, that cord. umbilical cord mm-hmm. is still connected. Yeah. And it's amazing, but babies will wrap that around their own neck when they're ready to go into the birth canal because they know they have to protect that blood supply. And as, as if it's under their chin and if it's in that fold there, it's not strangulating them. They're protecting it from getting pulled and, and separated prematurely as they go through the birth canal. And, and that's amazing that that is how that they're designed. Right. And one of the coolest things I, ever. He's talking about uh, innate intelligence right oh there. Oh my like gosh. The, the innate capacity that a child has to. And you think of the foramen ovale of the heart that yeah. seals shut and redirects blood flow into the lungs. That happens innately right after, after labor and delivery where we're toggling from just being a total water birthing baby. And that bloodstream is kind of bypassing a lot of our oxygenation apparatus. And so it's not getting oxygenation from his lungs. That foramen will close and blood flow now starts going through the pulmonary arteries and oxygenating with with air as it needs to, but not until baby is ready for that to happen. And so that that nuchal cord is a normal variation of birth. It happens 30% of the time or more, you know, as, as far as we have numbers for. And and it's perfectly, perfectly normal. Some moms create longer umbilical cords than others. That's very individual. And so there might be more cord or less or, or whatever that is. Um, but those are anatomy variations of normal. And um, mom inherently, you know, when she births on her own, she'll unwrap that cord just instinctively when when it's ready. She'll put the baby on her chest and that cord continues to deliver that last oxygen-rich, life-saving stem cell, you know, perfused blood. To help I think it comes down to like cord clamping. Yeah. And delayed cord clamping. And explain a little bit about that to us. Yeah. So that's, and it's making a resurgence in the US in recent years. This is how a lot of moms have already done it in, in the rest of the world. And right now, the American Academy of Pediatrics and ACOG, they have different opinions of what delayed means. Um, a lot of times that's 30 seconds to a minute after delivery rather than 12 seconds after baby's out of the uterus. And that, that umbilical cord, is very valuable medically. It can be used in blood banks and umbilical cord, you know, stem cell caches and things like that. Um, And so that's their, you know, a lot of the incentives might be to protect that supply from baby so that they can then use that for, for other purposes, for donors and things like that. But that's baby's blood and it contains so much of the iron rich blood that we need to help prevent things like jaundice and all that. So it's a good rule of thumb. If you're going to do a delayed cord clamping, wait until that cord is white and it stops pulsating, you know, with the, with the, with mom's heartbeat, because that means that all that blood is now in baby's body and the likelihood of, you know, a vitamin K, you know, needs or things like that goes way down. Because babies were supposed to, you know, receive that blood from the placenta. So much of that organ is is still outside a baby's body at that point. I think that's an awesome point right there. Something I for sure did not know. Yeah. And I mean, if you have not read the book, um, Starving Babies, <laughs> go. I mean, we'll drop the link to, to go pick it up. I mean, Thanks, phenomenal. Man. And he'll talk. I mean, he has statistics in there and different things like that. And I know when I talk to to ladies, especially, and I ask them about like birthing things like that, because I've started to become a lot more interested in it. And they talked about, well, birthing practices back in like the, the early 1900s. I mean, way more moms were dying. Is that true? I would challenge that statistic. Um, they certainly weren't declining in their birth rates like we are now in successful births. Um, we have to be careful. It's the same argument I hear with a lot of these diseases of the past. You know, it's like, was it really that bad? Or does that narrative just fit your paradigm a lot yeah. easier? So 
um, how, how necessary is it to have a highly medicalized intervened birth now? And, and what things were we doing back then that would increase survivability? Why are we not doing those things now? Uh, something like 80% of the practices that we deploy during medical birth are not really research-based. They're, they're practice-based. They're, you know, this is hospital policy. This is just standard procedure, but that's not what human history for thousands of years has been doing. That's not how we understand physiology, like the nuchal cord, you know, but yet we continue to do those things. And one of those things, you know, delayed cord clamping is a really easy thing to fix. So just say, Hey, Let's just wait. And sometimes that's five minutes and sometimes that's hours and, and that's okay. But in a hospital, it's always trying to turn a bed over and get the next person in and get the doctor onto the next place. We don't have time for that. So we got to hurry it out. Yep. Yep. They'll do something called managed delivery or managed labor, which is pushing drug combinations that will speed this whole thing along. And in my opinion, that's like if a spaceship landed that we had never flown before and we climbed behind the wheel and it's like, Oh, let's go faster with this. Let's go, let's go higher. Like we don't even understand this whole birth spaceship yet. Yeah. Why are we trying to control it to make it go faster or, or, you know, maneuver it in ways that it wasn't designed to move? Yeah, no, I think that's very good points made right there. Okay. Um, I mean, that kind of went a little bit into like needing to cut the cord and start checking vitals. Right. That's the first thing we want to do. It's like, Hey, Cool it. Let's let's not fingerprint the baby or footprint the baby. You know until yeah. very first thing we do is just I mean we pass them through. I mean toss the baby around in different places and, and all these different things. They're under lights. Let's, just, let's give them a second. Yeah. Let, like put it on the mom's stomach. Let the baby crawl up to the mom. Let the mom really have that connection right away with that baby. Yeah. And understand. I mean that that so many benefits come from yeah that initial contact. Yeah. And allowing that vernix, you know, depending on where the baby is at time of delivery in, you know, their term, they're coated with this white caseous, you know, vernix that is so healthy for baby's skin. It's it's antibiotics for their skin, basically, or probiotics, I guess, technically, but that's going to protect it. And we are so anxious to wash that off. So they look cute for a baby picture, you know, for Instagrams, but um, maybe it's time to just let baby be and yeah. and just that golden hour really is that golden hour that first hour after delivery yeah. let the baby let the baby have a little bit of time to get used to the world <laughs> in, in a more natural way instead of i mean wipe them off throw them in the shower spray them <laughs> off all the time just, just get all this stuff welcome I mean, to planet earth yeah. guy <laughs> um what about like i mean immediately they they smear silver yeah, the, the, on the eyes. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. That's another one of those practices that's just, it's standard procedure. Because if mom has an active STD and baby's coming through there and those sensitive membranes could pick up, you know, a germ that would fester and cause uh, neonatal ophthalmosis, you know, any like infection of those eye areas. So we just smear antibiotic on that. Those those goops um, actually blunt baby's eyesight, so it's not able to crawl up mom's chest and latch at at the breast during pregnancy. Those areolas darken, and that becomes a bullseye for baby's primitive reflexes to locate the nipple and begin breastfeeding. And unassisted, if you just have a natural birth, baby's connected to mom by the umbilical cord. You set it on her abdomen. There's a reflex that that baby will crawl up her chest and find its own milk supply and latch and begin that micro environment there and how often does that happen in american birth thing when i found it that really out is. that's like the coolest thing in the entire it's, world it's magic to watch and and i if if you yeah it, that that is how it's supposed to be yeah. but that silver nitrate that we're putting on baby's eyes unless mom has an active venereal disease 
there is no reason for that to be on there. That is disrupting everything that's going on with the flora and the bacteria of, of those, those babies' eyes. And it's blunting this reflex so that they can't latch and establish that milk supply during those, those first hours. Um, and, and it's very disorienting and it's completely unnecessary as far as what the research is suggesting. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. What about oh, pitocin to stop the uh, stop bleeding after the baby's there? Yeah. So this is this is managing um, delivery, like I was talking before. A lot of moms will say, "I don't want pitocin. I don't want cytotec. You know, I don't want any synthetic oxytocin, which is not oxytocin. It's a drug that mimics oxytocin. I don't want that." And so they'll respect that wish through labor and delivery. But the nurse is trained as soon as she comes in, that's what she pushes through the IV and, and it happens so quickly. And I've had moms that are sitting in there, they're basking in the afterglow of this great birth. And then the Pitocin hits and it's like, she's like, I, I felt like I was on a roller coaster all of a sudden. And I just like, what did you just give me? And the nurse said, oh, it's Pitocin. We just do this to help manage delivery of the, of the placenta, the, you know, the afterbirth. And mom is like that you know, I, I specifically said I didn't want it. Well, you said that you didn't want it for the baby, but we're here to just get the rest of this out. And it's like, no, that, that defeats the whole purpose. Yeah. You know, we, we didn't want the synthetic oxytocin going around. Um, normal oxytocin will actually stop or slow, um, uterine bleeding. It causes those smooth muscles to contract everything to shut back down from post birth. And so, that's if mom wants a natural birth, mom should be sh careful and dad should be there to make sure nobody's pushing Pitocin at the end to try to speed that process along, which is really what to do. Uh, same thing goes for cord traction, you know, where we're actually pulling on the umbilical cord to try to peel off the parts of the placenta. And they, those usually end in, in tearing and rupturing and, and things like that and increase the chances of, of hemorrhaging after birth. And so just let it happen naturally. And the timeline is not going to be convenient for the billing department of the hospital, but who cares? Like it, there's, there's bigger things at stake than, than the bottom line dollars for those hospitals. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Next one. Epidurals will help the pain so birth can be painless and an easy experience. Yeah. And, and this is a very delicate area because a lot of moms. Yeah. Yeah. Pain levels and pain thresholds are very individually based. And so mom knows when she's at her limit, but so does her body. And it's, it's kind of that idea that after you've gone to your limit, you actually have, you know, 40, 40% yeah. left yeah, in this. Yeah. That, yeah. That you're really not at that extremity. Be okay. And, and leading up to that, start practicing meditation techniques and things like that. Cause your body will reach a point where that pain is so much that you will produce your own cascade of catecholamines and epinephrine and, and norepinephrine and adrenaline and, and those things that will shut down the pain process. And you're instantly transported into this out of body, one of the most intense psychedelic experiences that moms have ever experienced has been natural childbirth because your body is doing everything it can to stop the pain. So when you do that, you maintain full control of your nervous system connecting and controlling all that's going on down there. We're not blocking anything. We're not shutting down the nervous system in any way. But if you think about it, that's that's our go-to thing for pain these days is just, well, let's just turn off the signal indicator. Let's just let's just cut the wire to that light that's going off in your brain that's saying that there's something going on there. And now brain's like, well, now I'm flying blind. You just, you cut off my nerve supply there. What am I supposed to do? So I think it's, it, it's I, I don't want to compare it too much to exercise, but it is, it's it's a big, that is a like one of the biggest competition, or I don't want to say experiences exercise-wise. Physiology, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, just physiologically, one of the hardest things you're going to do. And you think about like, if you get injured while you're, while you're, I mean, exercising or something like that, like you're running a big race and you 
you do something, you get a big old cut on your arm, you're not going to feel that very much mm-hmm. because your body's going to send a cascade of different things to, to try and dull that pain for you so you can get through it. Yeah. Okay. It's the same thing with birth. You have to think about that kind of, I don't know, our bodies are so good at trying to help us. And then when they feel like they get to a space where, Hey, start calming down, that's when you're going to start feeling that pain a lot more. Yeah. I think it's very interesting that our body's going to really try and help to, to mitigate that and the psychedelic experience as well. Yeah. Like, and there's, there's intense spiritual and emotional connections that happen during that time and not just with mom and baby, but dad and, and mom and dad and baby. And, and those types of things that are, that are happening there are going to cement that family unit so much better than anything than disconnected birth when we're just shutting all that down and we're squelching the pain, but we're also shutting down communication. A lot of epidurals also contain fentanyl now. And so mom is giving birth to baby that is on all of these drugs. And a lot of times that early colic and early stuff is just symptoms of withdrawal from, from getting rid of the drugs that, that they were hooked on mom and baby, if they choose are entitled to sober birth, they shouldn't be so drugged up that they forget so much of that sacred experience. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, mom's not eating, eating before labor. Yeah. And this is just one of those old fashioned, we used to not, we used to put moms under general anesthesia for, for C-sections. And so the doctors were like, well, if we have to put her under anesthesia, we don't want her to vomit, you know, whatever she's eaten. And so just as a precaution, let's not have her eat anything. Well, this is a very caloric intensive activity. And so mom should be able to drink and eat whatever they want to have the energy you know, to do that. And even if they have a full stomach and they have to go into, you know, a C-section delivery, it's, it's really the, the likelihood of a complication is, is not there. Um, yeah. Digestive systems are still going to be running during this time. And so, and that's, that's okay. Like you're going to be hungry. You're going to be thirsty. You, you don't know how long this labor is going to be. Yeah. And so, yeah, take, take care 46 of 46 hours or something like that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You really want mom to, to fast for that much. And arbitrarily at some point, the nurse is going to be like, okay, let her eat something. Or the doctor's like, okay, fine. You can have whatever it is. Well, why did I just go eight hours hungry and thirsty because and miserable and miserable? Yeah. Like, no, let, let mom have her whatever's. Yeah. Let her get into that stage where she feels safe. Yeah. Food's going to help her feel safe. Absolutely. Food makes me feel safe. I'm not a woman. I'm not a pregnant mom. I know food makes me feel safe. Yes. As long as Bridger's not eating your food supply, you're going to have a baby here pretty yeah, soon. It's, 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 <laughs> it's like Don't put the food in front of me. Okay. Um, eating in the corner. Okay. Next thing. I want to kind of get into like a little bit of like natural birth stuff like that. Water births. Tell me a little bit about water birth. Water birth is amazing. That increased circulation to that area allows those tissues to expand naturally. Your likelihood of what do you mean by increased circulation? Is there like is it warm so, water? Like yeah, and then most of the time, mom just wants kind of a, a tepid bath or a warm bath or something. I've had moms that really like it warm, but they like their head cold, and so they put ice on their head to kind of melt and cool their head, and it's it's this that contrast is is doing something physiologically, and so. And the dad's like, why you're sitting in a hot tub and you want me to go get ice for your head? And it's like, yep, dad, if that's what she needs, that's what she needs. You're the right hand. You don't talk back. (laughs) You do. Don't think you just go. And, uh, and so, um, especially like moisturizing that area, you're putting some coconut oil or something there that's going to soften and, and allow those tissues to stretch like they are. Um, and I'm talking about like, you know, when you have a piezo rupture or, or anything in that area, that's that's usually a sign that labor began and progressed too quickly, most often because of Pitocin and things like that, or mom wasn't allowed to labor in the position that she was comfortable. And so those tissues weren't exposed to stretch until baby was ready to come. So yeah, warm water baths, 
hydrating that area or, or moisturizing that area is just is really good for preventing some of those those stretching and tearing you know pains or, or risks of that and and allowing labor to progress at its own pace but thankfully a lot of water births and things like that are very um, they're becoming more popular especially in birth centers and things like that or home births um, and and that eases the transition from womb to world because baby can come out in a water environment that it's used to and and so that you know you don't drop a baby it's or not going to drown yeah yeah it's like, it's, it's, it's like a little scuba diver that just showed up you know <laughs> it still has the cord attached it's still going to be getting yeah. that those nutrients the oxygenated blood from the mom right at least for i mean a couple minutes at, at the very mm-hmm. least for however long it, it needs yeah mm-hmm. i mean very much depends on the the baby okay right. um tell me a little bit of birthing center those are becoming more popular, thankfully. Um, and this is kind of a, if you don't want to go to a hospital, but you're not ready to labor at home, um, that's a good middle ground where it's usually under the direction of an OB or a, um, a certified midwife or a nursing team. And they have everything that they need for a normal, you know, normal risk pregnancy to just kind of help with that process. But a lot of them are located close enough to a hospital that they can transfer if, if something does go wrong. So big fan. Awesome. Okay. What questions should I ask my OB or midwife before labor? Um, I would run through these types of things. And in, in starving babies, I do have a little list of, of some things that you oh, need yeah. to consider. Um, Again, starving babies. <laughs> it's a great resource right there. Yeah. And we are coming out with more resources on that because a lot of moms are asking for birth plans and, and, and what types of conversations to have. But say, yeah, at what point would you refer me to for, to a surgeon for this birth? Like what um, if, if you're with a midwife, ask her what her transfer rate is. Like how often do we start into birth and something goes sideways that you are not equipped to handle? And how often do we have to send me to the hospital mid-baby? Yeah. You know, And that's just good to kind of know and and look for those that, that are capable of that they know. And it's hard because you want to find somebody who is high enough that they know what their scope is, but low enough that most of the time it goes right. And so find one that you're comfortable with. And honestly, just the vibe check. Like talk to them and and see if if they're the first type of doctor we mentioned that doesn't want to tell you what they don't know or what what they're comfortable with or if they're an honest human and they're just being like hey I get I'm really nervous when that like, happens this is this is why I recommend these things yeah it's because I don't necessarily have experience with the other stuff like absolutely like if you want to bring someone in who is experienced in that absolutely please do yeah I think the best practitioners are ones who are willing to work with other ones yeah people who they they understand like this person has more knowledge in this aspect of it right so like an ob who is open to hey i'm fine to have your your midwife or whoever your doula whatever your chiropractor you have. yeah your chiropractor in here and just say like oh no this is my delivery room yeah my baby my birth my 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 no 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 <laughs> it's the mom's birthday like this yeah. is their delivery room yeah is the doctor's not delivering the baby the mom's delivering the baby Yep. And that has everything to do with people staying in their lanes. The OB is not trying to do the midwife's job. The chiropractor is not doing anybody else's job, but adjusting that baby and adjusting mom as needed. Um, So if everybody stays in their lanes and respects mom as the center of that whole operation, then birth just goes so much better. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm one of those people when I listen to a podcast like this and there's so much information, I want to write down notes. (laughs) Guys, there's just, I know I've been putting a lot of plugs for this in, but starving babies is the notes. <laughs> it's all of this man's information and knowledge put into book form that you can have. So you can read through it, you can mark it up. And yeah, there are going to be some parts that are pretty statistically dense because the man's an encyclopedia. All right. Or encyclopedia. I mean, how do we say that? Encyclopedia. There you go. That. So like 
again, if if you really have questions about this, if you're, if you're serious about getting into something like this and understanding, you're going to have that resource. Um, Starving Babies, phenomenal book, phenomenal resource. And I've tried to document my sources as best you can. So if you are a professional practitioner, you have somewhere to look to see, challenge me on, on these points and, and look at what the Absolutely. research is. That if, I you, yeah, if you're a practitioner listening and you want to challenge any of these different things, Absolutely. We'd love to talk. Yeah. Like he would love to have you come on the podcast. You can talk about different things. Um, I think that's the best way we're going to progress and help give people the knowledge they need because knowledge is where it's going to, knowledge is power. Yeah. Um, it's going to be huge. So we mentioned a little bit about having a chiropractor in a delivery room and adjusting the monitor. How does that look? Like, I know you've done that before. You've been there for, for uh, you've come with me to, well, Nick, you, but like, I've never seen an actual, like you being in there yeah. with a mom giving birth and you're providing adjustments where necessary. What does that look like? Um, mom should be the one deciding who's in that room and who isn't. Uh, hospitals have their various policies and things like that. So, so this would be a conversation to have ahead of time. Um, a lot of times I'll just show up as a, as a family friend if, if mom's okay with that um, for birth centers or, or home births and things like that. And I just park myself in the corner and I'll help with, with some SI. I'll teach dad how to traction pelvis um, so that she gets some relief with that. Um, and and I, I stay in my lane very much. And when mom's filling up to it, adjust her. And when baby's here and things are, are looking like it's ready, um, adjusting baby. So they I mean, all simulation specifically oh, just to help with sympathetic. I mean, we talked a little bit about, um, sympathetic versus parasympathetic, mm -hmm. um, nervous system and, and the tone that your body's in and really getting, you're going to have the best outcome of your pregnancy when you're in that parasympathetic, that relaxed state. Yep. And that's why, I mean, adjusting, especially like cervical, that region is going to help, especially having dad being able to be there and be a part of the process is going to make him feel a lot more of a connection to that baby. And absolutely. So, and I'm, I'm excited. There's one of my best friends when, when a mom will ask me to be there through that process, that is just, that's sacred ground to me. I think yeah. the same intimacy, which, which babies are conceived is the same trust and intimacy should be that through labor and delivery. It shouldn't be an open door of interns and nurses and, and internists and all this stuff coming in and out at all hours of the morning. Um, you want that space to be sacred. And so I'm so excited. There's a, there's a birth coming up the end of July that I'm already looking forward uh, to being at because that's, it's going to be just, it, it's people that I absolutely love and care about. And just to be a part of that journey is, is really sacred and special to me. And I think it should be for everybody. It's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Next thing I want to get into, um, vacuum extraction and four steps delivery. We learned about these different things and I'm just convinced like, why in the world? Why are you pulling the salad spoons out to, to, to try and get that baby out? Like that is not, I don't, that cannot be good. Yeah. And thankfully those are much less prevalent than they are. But the whole point with those things is at one point that was standard normal practice procedures. And now we're like, oh my gosh, look at what we're doing to this baby's head shape and mom's, you know, cervical dilation, all this stuff. Why, why are we pulling the baby out this quick and this fast through this method? Yeah. And, and thankfully as, as research comes in and people are slowly starting to change, just realize everything else that we're doing is open to change as well. We can, we can, we can make those, those changes to how we deliver baby, just like we did with, you know, specular forceps and, and vacuum extraction techniques. So Absolutely. never been a fan of either of those. I mean, yes. just the, you, you look at the formation of a baby's head and like soft spots and fontanelles and, and just the ossification process that comes with bones, especially those, yeah. those, um, those cranial bones, like 
why are you why are you putting unnecessary pressure on these different things yeah. we are so careful about the baby soft spot i mean how many times i can't even tell you how many times with my little siblings i mean i have the four little siblings you had four four, four younger siblings yeah, four younger siblings i mean it's one of those things where everyone's just be so careful with the soft spot but yet for a long time they were like oh, let's stick this vacuum thing let's stick a plunger on there <laughs> like what do you think is going to happen there yeah that's that's pretty terrifying and people are so scared of getting their babies adjusted because they're like i don't want it clicking and popping like you know you see on new on youtube with the head spinning around and whatever but we're okay with a lot of traction during c-section and vaginal delivery and and some of that is useful for getting baby here but we we have to realize that that kind of trauma that it's nothing compared to to the gentle specific chiropractic adjustment in addressing undiagnosed birth trauma. Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing. We'll get into that next episode. So we talk about like um, the postnatal, the, the that pediatric care. Yeah. Um, and just how important, and, and kind of talk about the chiropractic adjustment in that relation to the baby and a newborn baby, and especially a recovering mother. Right. And how beneficial that can be. Because I mean, I think so many people think adjusting a baby like I've watched them adjust a 300 pound guy. I hope that that's not even close with it. It's very different. It's not very different. And you'll watch, and I've watched kids who've come in and I mean, the very first time that they see him, I mean, it's screaming because I'm a weirdo. White, yeah. <laughs> white coats in are like, Oh, I'm in this, this weird place. This weird person, but babies can sense so much about intent. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just like, I, I hear people and they talk about like, well, I can read energies, things like that. You know what? I'm not going to knock anything. But like babies, if anything, understand the intent that people have when they touch them. Yeah. And and if you can find, and I mean, I've watched it happen where like the baby will be screaming and then puts his head, puts his hands just on their neck. He's just feeling tongue and they just calm down. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I understand this is trying to help me. And eventually they come in every time they see him, they're so happy. They're ready <laughs> to get, go over to him. It's like, okay, you see them like once a week. Like, how do they love you this much? Right. And you can tell the difference between babies that are crying because they're unfamiliar and they're just apprehensive, you know, or full grown patients for that matter, that are a little bit scared of the chiropractor. But there's also the babies who you can tell have had bad experiences with other chiropractors or other medical providers. Getting pricked and, a thousand different times. Yeah. Right after their and, and they're just they're they're so much in fight or flight mode that they see anybody who is approaching them with that intent of doing something and, and it's pure on sympathetic. And that's heartbreaking because sometimes we'll hit a, a particular visit where they went to the pediatrician for a well visit. And after that, that baby is just terrified of anybody that's not mom that's, yeah. that's touching them. So that's a, that's a scary thing that we have these well visits where, I mean, we don't want to get into certain topics that we just canceled right now. We'll, we'll have to have a paywall behind uh, yes. which we will share our thoughts. That will be coming because a lot of your questions like are about those topics and we hear you. We just can't talk about them right now. Yeah. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of, a lot of things at work and, but we want to get that information and, and really get evidence-based information yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, Should we wrap up this episode maybe, Doc? Yeah, we're going to do one last thing. I want to, you to talk about, okay. we have a couple more minutes. I want you to talk about C-sections. Okay. Talk a little bit about C-section. Cool. I know there's a big thing to unpack, but I really want to get into that in this episode. It is. Yeah. And C-section, this is the most common surgical procedure we're doing in this country right now. M you know, millions of dollars worth of, of revenue for, for these hospital systems. Um, and in most cases, completely unnecessary. The, the World Health Organization, all the international birthing community has kind of um, come up with the idea that about 10 to 15%, depending on who you talk to, are absolutely necessary for C-section deliveries. And for that 10, 15%, I am so grateful we have those. But 
some hospitals here in the U.S. are doing upwards of 80% of their deliveries are C-section deliveries, which means they're not trained on normal vaginal deliveries on the least invasive, most conservative and, and best outcome um, births. They're, they're so happy and anxious to cut those babies out that they're not allowing nature to run its course and they're normalizing that. And so many moms are ready to be induced and, and C-section delivery for a host of reasons that they don't understand the trade-offs there. Um, for the 10 to 15% of cases where that's absolutely necessary, Starving Babies has something called the parachute plan where you can go and have um, this ripcord basically is, is how I was imagining it of, okay, despite all our efforts, we're going into to delivery. Here's what I'm going to hand to the surgeon on my way in to say, hey, these are things I want to do so I can still maintain some autonomy of my birth and have some connection with my baby to help mitigate the fallout of such an invasive um, intervention. Um, but uh, again, this is a conversation you have with your OB leading up to birth of saying, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Attending in an emergency C-section that we neither of us wants. Yeah. But what does that look like and what can we do to mitigate that and, and recover from that? And a lot of moms, they just, they're just left mourning the loss of their ideal birth. And and I had a, a you know a great mentor and teacher in, in in my schooling that one of the most philosophical chiropractors at the time, and she she just despite her intentions, she had to have a birth that she did not intend. And I think if, if people had been open to allowing her to call some of those shots, that it would have been a lot different. So yeah. no, for sure. I think yeah. that's a very important thing. I mean, some of the things that I've heard when people talk about C-sections or you see on TV, it's just like, well, I want, I want my vagina to look the same afterwards. Like I don't want it to ruin me. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I'm going to kind of lay out some of these questions or these concerns that people have. And they're just like, oh, well, there's just, it's just unsafe. I don't want to go through the pain. Um, I mean, so many other different excuses for why not to do a vaginal, a very natural vaginal delivery. Just they they elect to do a C-section when they really don't need it. I mean, what do you say? Uh, and it depends on where they are, how open they are to being influenced by other things. If they're genuinely asking my opinion and and my medical, you know, or chiropractic expertise on this issue, and I'll offer that. But if they're just looking for affirmation or permission. Then, then my job is just to be supportive of maybe a decision I don't agree with, but I'm going to do everything I can to get mom ready for recovery from that kind of a thing. We have an epidemic in this country of moms who don't aren't, aren't prepared physiologically to be moms, and they're trying to cling so much to their pre-birth body and their pre-birth expectations, and that includes, you know, the the physiology of that that vaginal, you know, vaginal rejuvenation and things, those trends that are just trying so hard to cling to something that is not really meant to be after, after labor and delivery. And I hope that it's not because of unrealistic expectations from the dads. Um, I hope that they see how beautiful and amazing their wife is because she's been through that on, you know, their behalf to bring their kids into the world. And they just have nothing but respect and support for that. I think that's a call out of the dads right there is that like, yeah. if the dad if the dad is present for the whole process, the whole like pregnancy process, the birthing process, mm -hmm. I feel like it gives him like so much greater of an understanding of what she's been through because he's been there with her. Yeah. He's been able to be there. And I mean, there's, there's so many different things that your body will do as well. Like you hear about like dads gaining pregnancy weight because <laughs> right. like while the, and it's, even though they're not trying to, like they're going to have different hormones that, that spike that actually cause them to, it's like this, this sympathy where they're, they're feeling that with their wives and, Absolutely. I'm not saying that men in any way understand the pain you're going through, but be there present, be attached, be involved, 
so that you can understand and it will help you not have these unrealistic expectations. It also helped the, the mom to give herself a little bit of grace because I mean, the dad's going to understand, like, you just went through this crazy process. I don't expect you to be back to like you were when you were 20 and I mean, or whatever age or way before. Yeah. And, and that will shape postpartum recovery, how yeah. involved dad is in taking care of the other kids or the meals or, or mom's needs, you know, as she recovers and, and postpartum, you know, just connection, return to intimacy and communication and, and, you know, how that emotional bond, uh, fares after all of that. Yeah. So it's, uh, those are hugely important topics. We'll cover those more in, when we talk about postpartum, but awesome. those are good well, reminders. Phenomenal episode. Um, I mean, I learned a lot for sure. <laughs> I learned a so lot too. So that, that was, that was good. Um, again, I mean, listen, in our, our next episode, we're, we're going to go over, we're going to finish out the series, go over the, the, the postnatal, that, that pediatric, that very early pediatric care. Yeah. So I hope you guys enjoyed Glean Something there. Again, send us your thoughts, your comments, uh, questions, complaints, concerns, dirty jokes, you know, what, what have you. So <laughs> whatever you need. Peace out, guys. Have a good one.